Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Daddy, can you fix it? Daddy, can you fix it? This is a question that is asked of me quite often. And uh, unfortunately, the answer is often no. Your daddy cannot fix things. Uh, I, I, I can try, I'll do my best. Uh, it was a number of years ago where I found out the difference between a flathead and a Phillips. That was really interesting to me. Uh, but you pop open the hood of your car or open up a toolbox and I'll be there to help you, like maybe lift some stuff and move it from point A to point B, but to actually fix it, not me. But I can replace batteries and light bulbs, so that's really good. And, uh, and so I want to tell you a quick story. Well, one time um, I, I was, Tanya and I saw this metal thing uh, sticking out of a light switch and we're like, that piece of metal... Um, I was like, in my mind, I'm like, you could get electrocuted with this, this, this thing protruding from our light switch in our dining room. So I was like, kids, Tanya, don't touch it. We're going to get electrocuted. The house might burn down. We don't know. This is, <laughs> this is a big deal. So nobody touched this light switch and nobody did. And for like a week or two, we just didn't use that light switch, which was very inconvenient. And uh, so I was, I was looking into electricians and I thought, okay, I'm going to call an electrician. And then you call them and they're like, we charge $500 an hour and we do a three hour minimum call or whatever they do. And it was like, this is ridiculous. And I thought time, time might help solve my issue, right? Just wait. <laughs> uh, that's plan B. And, um, and so anyway, we were having this Bible study of all these guys on Tuesday nights and um, uh, that would come over to my house. And it was awesome because uh, they all had different skills. And one of them is an electrician. And so I was like, Scott, I need your help. Uh, look at my light switch. <laughs> and uh, Scott's like, okay, I can help you. And he goes over and he leans down and he looks at the light switch. And then he grabs that metal thing, which I thought was going to electrocute him. And he pulls out what was a gold sticker. Um, <laughs> One of those stickers for kids and sticker charts, you know, to earn points. It's a sticker. And he looks at it and he goes, this is your problem. And I was like, okay, all right, good. And he's like, on, off, on, off, on, off. Your light is perfectly fine. So somehow a kid was playing with the light switch and it got stuck in there. Anyway, 
So glad I didn't call an electrician. That was embarrassing. I can't imagine paying hundreds of dollars for that moment. Um, I'm sure that electrician would have had a lot of fun, but Scott was kind to me. He didn't make me feel terrible about that, but he has made fun of me since then. Um, <laughs> Daddy, can you fix it? Uh, this is the question. And, you know, I thought about that question, Father, can you fix it? Uh, when I was preparing for this message, and I thought, you know, that is the question we're asking. And many of us are here, maybe you're new to Jesus, new to Christianity, maybe you followed him for 60 years, um, but we continue to have this question, Father, can you fix it? This, this is a question that we at North Langley have been asking for many weeks um, in the last number of years, just focusing on this question ab about how God is putting the world back together. You know, God, could you put me back together? I'm broken. Can, can you put this broken world back together? Could, Daddy, can you fix it? Abba, Father, can you fix it? Our, our, our world is broken, and we turn on the evening news, and we just see the brokenness uh, in, in our world. But when we look at our own lives, there's like kind of, I would say, two categories of brokenness. One would be the things that people have done to us. Um, the hurtful words, the uh, painful things people have said to us, and um, and we feel broken, and, and there's a brokenness in our lives. Maybe it's relationally, um, but we carry a woundedness in us from the things that have been done to us. And there's a separate part of even our own life, <laughs> and it involves the things we've done. And when we're, you know, take a minute to be honest with ourselves, it's the things we've said and the things we've done to hurt others. And we, we carry around a guilt and a regret, a shame there, and, you know, and for most of us, it's all just a, a mix of stuff going on. And, and, and our prayer is, Father, can you fix it? Um, can, you, can you fix me? Can you fix these relationships? Can you fix what's going on in my family and, and my friends and my workplace and all of it? Um, can you put me back together? And so, Father, we come to you, and we are asking this question, Father, could you, can you fix it? Can you put me back together? And we come humbly, Lord, and we acknowledge we don't have the tools. We don't have the insight. We, we cannot fix ourselves. And we're in great need of, um, of a God who knows how to lean in and make something new when there's, when there's only pain, suffering, sickness, sadness. We, so we trust you, and we know you're here with us. Would you open our eyes that we would see the hope that we have in you? And we pray this in your name. Amen. So there are three truths, three truths in our passage today that point us to the truth that God is on a mission to put the world back together one life at a time, starting with us. Three truths in our passage. Here they are. The Spirit, Emmanuel, and Yeshua. The Spirit, Emmanuel, and Yeshua. Would you say that to your neighbor, those three things? And now, in a more embarrassing way, say it louder to your neighbor. Yes. 
See, here's the goal. And when I, when I talk to other preachers and we're our team, and I said the goal of every preacher is that at lunch after the service, that somebody who's not at North Langley asks you, hey, what do they talk about today at, at, at church? And you're like, the spirit, Emmanuel, and Yeshua. And then that makes it awkward. And then you continue your lunch. Uh, but no, just that, remember it. So hopefully you will remember these three beautiful truths. We'll unpack these. But uh, let's dive into truth number one, the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And, and we're going to read uh, Matthew chapter one, verses 18 to 20. And I want you to listen for the Holy Spirit. Often we don't associate the Holy Spirit with Christmas, but just listen. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. Two references to the Holy Spirit. Now, before we tackle the Holy Spirit here in this passage, uh, I want to just cover something that's a bit confusing to modern readers of the Bible. Apparently, Joseph and Mary are engaged... But then Joseph says he needs to quietly divorce Mary. What does that mean? That doesn't make sense because in our day and age, you get engaged and then you get married, then you're married, at which point, if that marriage ends, then there's a divorce. You would never call breaking an engagement a divorce. So what's going on? Well, just let's do some time travel. (laughs) If you were to kind of travel back 2,000 years into Jesus' day, the, the world that Mary and Joseph lived in, This was a very conservative Jewish culture, high morality, um, and and how they viewed marriage was two two families would arrange a marriage of a young man and a young woman, and on the day of their uh, covenant, or the day that they they promise uh, one to another, is one year before the wedding. So on this day, They begin their engagement, but actually legally, they're married that day. So in the one-year engagement, there's a a marriage celebration a year later, which is like a week-long party in in Jewish culture. (laughs) But before that week-long party, they are not living together. This this one year of engagement, the, the young man and the young woman are in their family homes, so the, so, so the covenant has been made, it's, they are legally married, but for this one year of engagement, what happens is the young man goes back to his family home and he builds on to the family home, like it builds a new wing to the home for his family to bring his bride to, to be with him. And so this takes about a year, right, to build on the family home. So, so brides would move into the home of, of, of the young man. And right now, some of you are like, that sounds awful. I, I would not want to live uh, with my husband's family. But anyway, um, that's for later. But so like th- this, th- and actually this gives new meaning to, so sorry, I'm saying like three things at once. During that one year, if you were to break the engagement, it is like getting a divorce because you're breaking the promise, the, the legal contract um, that started that problem. And that's different for us. But, but then you would move in and just, this is a side note, has nothing to do with today, but this gives new meaning to Jesus' words. Some of you remember Jesus' words. He says, um, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. 
and I'm going to come back and take you to be with me where I am in my father's house, right? Well, what is Jesus saying to us? He's using engagement language, Jewish, Jewish engagement language, right? He's saying, you're my bride, and I'm building a place for you in my father's house, and I'm going to take you to be with me where I am, right? It's beautiful. Anyway, so this was Jewish engagement. So, so hopefully that gives a little bit more insight into why Joseph thought, maybe I need to divorce Mary, once he found out she got pregnant in this one year right, in this engagement year when she's in her parents' house. And so all kinds of questions are circulated. How did Mary get pregnant? And Joseph loved Mary, and he's just like, okay, rather than publicly shame her, I'm going to quietly divorce her. Um, interesting uh, scenario, right? Lots of questions for Mary, for Joseph, what's going on? But God intervenes, and he says to Joseph, he says, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph is like, what? What, in, what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. So a couple quick things. So first of all, this story is so outrageous that it actually has the ring of truth. Some of you might be new to Jesus, new to the Bible, and you're like, okay, so maybe the story of Jesus was made up and his birth story is made up. And like, I just want to maybe propose an idea. No Jewish person, so Matthew, the gospel writer, is a Jew, and the book of Matthew is written to primarily a Jewish audience. Now, no Jewish person would make up a story that would seem to open the question of Mary's sexual faithfulness during engagement, right? That is just, if you were going to make up the story about like the coming of the Savior, like you wouldn't make up this story. This is not the one you would make up. This is not what you would make up if you were trying to be credible in a Jewish culture. And so maybe, maybe, for those of you who are new to the scriptures, the, Matthew, the gospel writer, is just being faithful to write down the sequence of events, as bizarre as it sounds, of what took place with the coming of Jesus. Okay, secondly, what is this detail about the Holy Spirit? Why is this important? Well, I want you to go back, and for those of you who have your Bible open, look, look, go to Matthew 1.1. Remember, uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at Matthew 1.1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the genealogy. Genealogy, what did we say two weeks ago about that word? What is that word in Greek? I'm hearing something, but... Genesis, yeah, that's right, awesome. Yeah, so Genesis. Now... This is the genesis of Jesus the Messiah. Genesis. Well, that's a hyperlink. You know, on an email, when you click the blue, it takes you somewhere else. You click that. Where does it take you? It takes you to the book of Genesis. Is there some other story in the first couple chapters of the book of Genesis where we read about the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit doing at the creation of the world? Do you remember this story? What's he doing? Genesis 1, 1 to 2, these are the opening words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, in Hebrew literature, the dark, chaotic waters are an image of chaos. So what is the Holy Spirit doing at the very beginning? He's hovering over the chaos. And the words in Hebrew are tohu vabohu, which is formless and empty. Formless and empty. There was this chaotic, formless emptiness. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the tohu vabohu. And then God says, let there be light. And there was light, right? 
God brings about a creation of the world, of the planets, of the universe, of all that we have on the globe. Light, life, trees, plants, food, animals, humans, something from nothing. The Spirit of God is hovering over the tohu vabohu, and he makes something out of nothing. And Matthew, the gospel writer, wants us to see something. Somehow the Spirit of God is now hovering over the life of a young woman in Israel. And he's going to make something out of nothing and brings life. And that is giving us a picture of something this child would one day do. That the Spirit of God through this child might also bring life where there is no life. Is this a foreshadowing of a new creation that would come as the Holy Spirit would hover over all creation to make things new? Daddy, can you fix it? Abba, can you fix it? See, the Spirit is moving in and through Jesus to make all things new, and that includes you. And just here on point one, I know that many of you are coming through the doors today feeling a hopelessness, an emptiness, The Spirit of God is here. We believe in worship. He is hovering over us in this place. The Holy Spirit can hover over the chaos of your life, over the addiction of your life, over the hopelessness of your life, and can make life from nothing. He's here. Okay, point number one, the Spirit. Point number two, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. So Matthew, the gospel writer, writes this about the birth of Jesus. Verse 22 to 23. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's talk about Emmanuel. Emmanuel, there it is, that one beautiful Hebrew word that sums up the entire Bible. Let me explain. In the beginning, humanity lived in a beautiful garden. It was the Garden of Eden. It was a space where they walked with God. Humanity walked with God. God loved and lived with the people he created. God was with them. Emmanuel. Emmanuel was the truth of what was going on in the Garden of Eden. But chapter 3 of the Bible, Genesis 3, sin comes into the world. Humanity rebels against God. God no longer was with his creation. There was a separation a chasm, a canyon between humanity and God. Because in the story of humanity, murder, envy, gossip, lust, pride, greed, violence, hatred, and the sins of the human heart enters the story. And there was this tragic separation from God. And we call it the fall. The fall. Humanity fell. And there was no longer Emmanuel. Right? We were separated from God. And, and we feel that today. In the pain, and the brokenness, we say, where are you, God? We, some of the deepest pain is not only the stuff we walk through, but the feeling that God is not close. Or the feeling, or, or what we tell ourselves, is that God is not near. And this, we feel the separation from him. But the story of the Bible is one massive restoration project story. Did you know that? If you're new to Jesus, new to the scriptures, the story of the Bible, I'm going to summarize it in like 20 seconds, is the story of God coming near, of 
what we, what we think is that God doesn't want to have anything to do with us, but the story in the scriptures is that God is relentless in his desire to keep coming closer and closer to those that he loves. So the story of restoration begins as God comes near to people like Abraham and Sarah and Hagar in the wilderness and Jacob and Joseph. And God comes near in a burning bush and meets with Moses. And God comes near the people of Israel in slavery and sets them free and is with them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he comes and dwells with his people in a tabernacle in the desert as they wander the wilderness. And he comes and dwells with his people in the temple in Jerusalem. And God keeps coming near. God continues to come near, to come close again. But nothing could prepare us for what would happen next. 700 years before Jesus' birth, Isaiah the the prophet prophesies in Isaiah 7 that one day, this is crazy, mysterious, (laughs) vague, what's going to happen? A virgin would give birth to Emmanuel. A virgin would give birth to a son and they would call him Emmanuel. What? That was written 700 years before Jesus. So what was that going to be about? God with us, a virgin, would give birth to a son, and he would be called God with us, Emmanuel. Now I need to pause here for a second, because I think you and I are probably so immersed in the Christmas story that the word Emmanuel really doesn't carry uh, the weight that it needs to carry. Emmanuel is written on Christmas cards, it's in every song we sing, and we become used to Emmanuel. But if you could, could you try, I know it's hard, but just remove the Christmas story for a second and only hear this phrase, God's coming, God with us, God's coming. What do you think about when you think about God coming? If you're like me in my honest moment, if I don't have Jesus, if I don't have the Christmas story, if I remove that, if I try to remove it, just the phrase, God is coming, I look at my own sin, and my instant reaction is, oh no, right? That doesn't sound good, right? I've got a lot of sins swirling around deep within me. God's coming? What's that going to look like? I think Johnny Cash in his American Five album in 2006, he covered a folk song that I think captures what I think many of us assume this looks like. It's a song called God's Gonna Cut Us Down. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. You can run on for a long time. <laughs> you live the life the way you want to, right? You could run on for a long time. But sooner or later, God will cut you down. God will cut you down. See, again, work with the thought experiment for just a second. Remove Jesus, remove the Christmas story. This is what I assume Emmanuel, God with us, looks like. Oh no, a holy, awesome, perfect creator and righteous judge is coming? What do I think that looks like? Well, do something bad, he'll cut you down. Like like Santa, okay, you're nice, presents. You're naughty, 
coal. Coal, right? Any of you actually received coal? And you're, hope not. No, no hands up. Okay, that's good. And we believe that God is, is like some kind of heavenly Santa. See, honestly, if you and I were to make up what God was like, you say, make up your own version of God. I w- this is the God I would make up in my mind. All right? He's like Santa. Right? You do good things, and you get a gift. You do a sequence of bad things, cool. This is, listen, God's going to cut you down, right? And we believe God is like a heavenly Santa. He doesn't like sinners. And he's going to come home, daddy's coming home, and he's going to deal with the sin. Emmanuel, I mean, just think about it. The idea could seem quite scary. Is God the angry father coming home? take his belt off, and punish his children? So we thought God was in the business of cutting us down. But you'll see in a second that we were wrong. We were, we were so wrong. Which comes to point three. Yeshua. Yeshua. An angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Let's talk about the name Jesus. Jesus. Before we do, just a quick rabbit trail. Some of you know I was in Colima, Mexico recently with our church partnership. Uh, we're, We're partnered with a church in Colima and, uh, and we were there to just see this new uh, uh, grounds where they're going to uh, start construction of their church. Really exciting. A member of their church, his, his name is Jesus. Jesus, okay? So I meet him. I'm like, I'm meeting Jesus. And he tells me he's a carpenter. And I'm like, no way. Like, you're Jesus and you're a carpenter. By the way, I love my Latino friends, and they have the boldness to name their kids Jesus, right? And I'm like, why don't we do that in the English language? Like in, in Canada, let's start naming our children Jesus, right? That's, anyway, side comment. Anyway, so I, uh, so Jesus the carpenter, and it's good to meet you. And I said, I said, oh, wouldn't that be hilarious if your mom's name was Mary? I'm talking to him, right? He's like, it is, Maria. <laughs> I'm like, you're kidding. And, and then he says, I'm not lying. This is, I'm not making this up. He's like, my dad's Jose. Joseph. I'm like, no way. Joseph and Mary had a child named Jesus who's a carpenter. He lives in Colima. Like, you could meet him. Our church is going on a mission trip in March. You could meet him. The only part that didn't really, he was part of like a a bike gang for a while, but that didn't really fit into the story. But anyway, he's come to know Jesus. His life has changed. So he came to a real Jesus. Anyway, back to the point. Jesus, Yeshua, is Yeshua in Hebrew. The name means Yahweh saves, God saves. And notice in verse 21, what's he going to do? What is Yeshua going to do? He's going to save his people from their sins, from their sins. It's almost like he's going to beeline it to the actual problem in the universe. We talk about global problems, global disasters, and yet God knows that the earth will be changed, creation will be changed through one heart at a time, right? He's going to zone in on the sin of the human heart. He's going to save his people from their sins. Now, at this point, we need to pause and we say, well, hold on. Yahweh, the holy, awesome, 
perfect creator, righteous judge is coming to save? (laughs) That's not what we thought Emmanuel was. He's coming to a sinful world and he's not coming with rage. Listen carefully. Emmanuel would be Yeshua. Emmanuel would be Yeshua. So God with us would look like God saves us. Would Emmanuel look like God beats us? God cuts us down? No. Emmanuel would look like God saves us. I'll tell you a quick story. This is a parenting fail, by the way. I was watching the kids on the Fort to Fort Trail. This is years ago. And some of you have been at North Langley for a while. Years ago, I told you the story. But we were walking on the Fort to Fort Trail, and there were these piers that overlook the Bedford Channel, right? You guys know those wooden piers that overlook the channel? Well, I was talking to somebody in a conversation, and I didn't watch, but Lucy had walked over to the edge of the pier. She had climbed up. She's three years old, and she was leaning over the edge, like far over the edge. Her feet are on the last rung, and I see it happening, and I run towards her, and I, like, I take her, I bring her down. It's like, Lucy, like, from my vantage point, she could have just easily fallen over and fallen into the, into the river. Um, and so I said, Lucy, like, you could hurt yourself. Like, it would be a big owie. Like, you would be scared. You would f- fall into the river. It'd be scary. And I remember she, she paused, and she kind of tilted her. I remember this very clearly. She tilted her head, and she said, you come get me? She said, right? She said, you come get me? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I mean, I'd have to get over some, yes, but I would, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, everyone's just like, of course. Of course we would. We would, right? And and, uh, and I thought about that beautiful story. Um, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. What does it look like? It looks like Yeshua, God saves us. What does that look like? Emmanuel, Yeshua, God leaps over the edge for us. Emmanuel, Yeshua, God dives into a dark, chaotic world to save his children. Emmanuel Yeshua, God gives up the riches of heaven to dive in, to come to us, to save us, to love us, to be near us again, to rescue us, literally pulling us up out of the dark, chaotic waters, the tohu vabohu, and to draw us to himself again. When you see a child born in Bethlehem in a manger, you're seeing the God who leapt over the edge to come save you and be near you. What did you and I think was going to happen when God showed up, when Emmanuel showed up? We thought God was ready to come and punish his children, but could we have have ever imagined this? Could we have ever made up this story? And what you and I think about God, like when we think about God, what comes into your mind? Because it matters. It really matters. Your image of God matters. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says this, quote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? When, so when I say God, whatever comes into your mind, that's going to shape your life. It will. It will. You hit a rough moment in your life, and what is your concept of who God is? 
He's the God who abandons me, right? He's the God who puts me in my place, right? He's, he, he's the God who comes like a father with his belt, ready to punish. Or he's, he's just kind of the God who walks away. He's just kind of distant, right? Or, or what if he's like Jesus? What if he's like, because the Bible is clear, absolutely clear that Jesus shows us what God is like. Whatever concept you have of God, it will shape your day, it'll shape your week, it'll shape your entire relationship with him. So when you think, what is God like? Think Jesus. Jesus is what God is like. Listen to Colossians 1.15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The Son, Jesus, is the image of of the invisible God. And you say, ah, okay, well, yeah, maybe, kinda, you know, maybe Jesus is kind of like God. God's kind of like Jesus. No. If, I don't have this quote on the screen, but go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says, the Son, Jesus, is the exact representation of God's being. Can I say that again? Jesus, the Son, is the exact representation of God's being. So what is God... What, what is God like, mysterious God that we don't know? He's like Jesus. Look at Jesus. Follow Jesus. Let the life and teachings and love of Jesus shape your concept of God. Jesus comes to us. Jesus is a friend of sinners, right? Jesus actually has some hard words for religious <laughs> legalists. Jesus comes near the brokenhearted. That's God. Let Jesus inform how you view God. And when Jesus was about 33 years old, he would be nailed to a cross. That's God. Emmanuel would die for the world. Yeshua would die for the world. That's how he would save. Not through some military campaign. He would give up his own life. And so as it turned out, God didn't cut us down. No, Jesus would be cut down so that you and I would live. Jesus would be cut down so that you and I would experience life and life to the full. For God leapt over the railings, descending down upon the earth, diving into the tohu vabohu and the dark chaotic waters, and echoing the sound of a father splashing into the Bedford Channel of the Fraser River, a poor teenage girl in Palestine named Mary gave birth to a son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger. And though the world didn't see it yet, this was God jumping in. Christmas is the story of God diving in to rescue his children. And if you were listening closely in Bethlehem on that starlit night, you may have heard God whisper, I'm here. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm for you. I will not abandon you. I'm here. And so let's put these words together and let's listen to the power of the scripture 
Emmanuel, Yeshua, and the Spirit. God has come. God has come near to cleanse us of sin, and the Holy Spirit can hover over your formlessness and emptiness and can make all things new. Abba, Father, Daddy, can you fix it? This is how he's fixing it. This is how he's fixing us. This is how he's fixing me, Matthew. In my dark sins, in my messed up ambition, in my entrenched pride, in my failure to love others, it's how he's fixing me. And when I imagine God ready to remove his belt and to give me a lashing, when I imagine God is ready to give me a lashing, in my mind, I remember Jesus in the Roman praetorium where he took the lashing upon his own flesh. See, I imagine God wants to lash me, but God steps in to receive the lashings and by his wounds were healed. See, that's God. That's God. So, You and I can go tell the long-tongued liar. We can go tell the midnight rider and the rambler and the gambler and the backbiter. Tell every sinner God was cut down. Tell him that God was cut down, that God did not come with vengeance and rage and a belt ready to beat his kids. God came near and he came in humbleness and he came in love and he came in vulnerability And he came and dove into the darkness and chaos of a world that had gone mad. And he was ready to forgive. And he was ready to draw close to sinners and to cleanse them and to wipe them clean from their sin. Tell them. Tell them that God jumped in. (laughs) Tell them that God jumped into the chaos to rescue his kids, to lift them up out of the water, and to give them air and breath and life again. Tell them that God was cut down. That's the good news. And so we carry Lucy's question deep within us. You come get me. And the answer of the gospel is yes. Look at the manger. Look at the cross. Look at the empty tomb. And now we see our healing. Would you stand with me? We're going to continue in worship. Our prayer team is passionate to pray today, passionate to minister um, just so you know, some of you may or may not know this, as a church, we're trying to grow in our um, understanding of the prophetic and prayer, and our prayer team was praying this morning, and they have a specific word for some of you. Just so you know, this is going to be very specific, but um, there might be a few of you who have dealt with the pain of, of a miscarriage, and um, man, their heart, our prayer team's heart is for you today. Um, that you would know the love of God, that you would feel the healing of God in your life. It could have been years ago, could be recent, but they'd love a chance to pray with you. Um, would you approach our prayer team? Our prayer team's in the, in the prayer room in the back. Um, some of them are up front, but they're really here to pray with any of you for anything. You know, bring, wh- wh- where's the formlessness and the emptiness of your life? Would you come forward for prayer and receive prayer from our team? We want the Spirit of God to move in the room. And so we're going to pray right now. And I'd encourage you if you close your eyes and and if you feel comfortable to hold out your hands. This is a posture of receiving, an ancient posture of prayer. And it kind of does a double, double duty. It's when we have our hands open like this in front of us, it's we're offering God something, but we're also ready to receive something. And so um, if you feel comfortable, just close your eyes, hands out. So what's formless and what's empty?
you pray a simple prayer, Abba Father, would you fix it? Just open up your heart to the work of the Spirit here. Ask Him to come. Bring life from nothing. Some of you may want to ask for the name of, of a friend, for God to bring to mind the name of a friend or a fellow loved one that can pray for you this week. As we follow Jesus, as we're apprenticed to Jesus, we need one another. You don't do this alone. So is there a name that comes to mind, someone that can pray for you and love you and walk with you through the difficulty that you're walking through? Spirit of the living God, you're here. You're moving in the room and we open up our lives to you. We come with faith that you're not done, <laughs> that the story's not over, that we have hope of a new day and a new healing that can come into our story and into our relationships and into our own lives. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come get us. Would you come get us? Would you fix it? We don't have the skills. We, we have no hope in fixing this ourselves. And so we surrender to you, the one who loves us. And we pray that you would come and make all things new. Amen.